It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans on today's Australian Open quarterfinals catch-up. Ash Barty and Rafa Nadal are out in big upsets. Medvedev and Kratsev fly the flag for Russia. And fans are set to return for the last four days of competition. Kim, the quarterfinals are now complete. And once again, we've had some superb matches on show across day nine and day 10 in Melbourne. I think today has been particularly special. I think we've had one match that I think is going to live long in the memory. The match between Stefanos Sissipas and Rafael Nadal. It was such a, it was such a good match, you know, five sets. I know we're going to have to talk about it, Kim, but I know you're a Rafa fan. So what's the, what's your mood like? Is you, uh, are you still reeling from the, the situation? I keep thinking about two sets up, Joel, two sets up. <laughs> I could have coped with it if it had been, you know, a run of the mill kind of four set uh victory but two sets up and and you know six three six two joel i was like okay i can sit back i can relax i can worry about the semi-final with medvedev but no i had to go for a very angry walk at lunchtime uh once sits had you know got over the hurdle at the end and uh you sent me some messages I can't actually repeat on on WhatsApp in the the immediate aftermath of of the loss and yeah I guess that's that's what it, I mean that's what it means I guess to you know his fan base and you know to him as well he'll be pretty he'll be pretty devastated won't he from as you said from such a such a commanding position yeah I think um very miffed it's just so unraffa like to let anyone you know, come back and go all the way. You know, we saw saw it with Medvedev at the US Open, you know, in 2019 in the final, but he didn't manage to, you know, come all the way back and such a deficit. And I mean, for me, those that tie break at the end of the third set, uh, you know, Rafa, those, those two overheads that he had that he just completely you know, cocked up. Uh, like, I just, if only he'd maybe got those both in the court, that would have been something. It might have been a whole different story. Who knows? But, you know, Sitsipas has obviously shown that he's come such a long way. He was very mature the way he, he dealt with it. And he didn't get, you know, too downhearted having kind of been whooped in those first two sets. And yeah, to, to do what basically only one other player, you know, at a slam has, has done, which is Fabio Fognini coming back from two sets down, like it's pretty remarkable and obviously he'll be really really pleased to have got the monkey off his back because he he was saying you know that Rafa is the one player of of the big three that he he has to figure out he has to work out how to beat him and well he's proved that he can today I think it was very frustrating I think for Nadal because I think in in that third set he was playing playing well enough to kind of clinch that in in three and you saw real sort of in that tie break you didn't really 
go into it expecting him to uh you know to to wilt like he did i think it's interesting that there is i think a question in terms of he seems to be able to start really well in sets and close out quite comfortable set score lines like a a 6362 but i think when it comes to kind of the business end of of sets and if it's still kind of four all or five all it still feels a bit 50-50 and, and i think in this match it was almost kind of a tale of, of two halves, really. And, mm. and sets three, four and five, when, you know, push came to shove in the in the deep end of each set, Sissipas really was the one who, you know, seized the initiative. And it's 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 surprising. But yeah, I think it might if there is something that the Dal I think can work on, maybe is is the fact that when he is in those pressure situations deep into a set where both players are playing well, he seems to be at the moment maybe coming off worst. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I have felt that in the past as well. Uh, I just would have, yeah, I would have liked, for example, like a match tie break at the end of this, uh, you know, at the end of the fifth set. Just getting broken right at the end is so frustrating. Um, I'm sure any Rafa fans listening will know exactly what I mean. And not just Rafa fans, you know, whenever it happens to like, you know, the person that you support, it's just so, you know, irritating. But I think, yeah, like when I was watching Djokovic against Verev, the day before, you know, that's kind of where Djokovic was so good, you know, right at the end when it mattered, he just, you know, step it up and, uh, but it was the other way around today. And yeah, Rafa, he's well out in the quarterfinals again, cause he lost a team, didn't he? At, the, at this stage last year and sits pass lives on, which I think Joel, you did predict actually it's its pass upset of Rafa at the start of the tournament, mm. didn't you? So very smug today. Are, are you? <laughs> Yeah, he's been he's been playing really well. And as you said, it was a really mature performance. He, he kept a level of calmness that I think showed his, you know, maturity. And even though he was kind of down two sets quite convincingly, it didn't really let that um fluster him. And yeah, he just kind of took it, you know, one set at a time and, and was able to kind of claw back into the match. And I think the the kind of the testament to that was the fact that he was able to win three sets in a row because you know Nadal was almost kind of in the same position two sets up could he keep this going for for three sets and the answer was although it was very close within in that tie break the answer was no and then you know with Sissipas going into that fifth almost in the, the same situation of you know winning two sets in a row was able to close it out and you know this really is I think a, a marquee victory uh you know for Sissipas in terms of his career and his progression and I genuinely feel like with this match and you can see I think in his in his player box at, at the end that they will have felt like this this was a, a milestone match you no know, it wasn't like a you know a grand slam final obviously or uh you know there's going to be matches I think of maybe a greater magnitude that he is play, has been playing in but given this um you know match against Nadal in the quarterfinals this manner of victory it genuinely I think felt like a almost like a coming of age um moment yeah i mean i'm i'm wary of sort of going too much down that route because he did beat federer here in the quarterfinals two years mm, ago but then he played rafa in the semi and got whooped which uh obviously i guess has remained in his mind i think you know this is the last time that he you know was so deep at, at a slam and obviously now he's got medvedev so he doesn't have you know a member of the big three in his next match so you would think oh that's you know a bit more of an opportunity for him you know not having to then play Djokovic or Federer or, or whatever. But I, I don't know. Medvedev's been playing pretty much like a big three player over the last few months. So I think arguably, you know, it's just as tough. And I think this is where Sitspas is really going to, you know, it's very well, you know, all good to get like the, the scalp at a slam, but can you back it up in the next round? Can you 
put two lights out performances together and and also you know he did get off very very slowly in the match today against Rafa and he can't afford to be doing that being kind of so lackluster at the beginning of the match you know you can't always come back from two sets down yes he did it today but if he does that in the semi-final against Medvedev is it is it going to happen twice in a row probably not Yes, because we saw, you know, with Dominic Team, you know, with the the match against Nick Kyrgios, uh, you know, going five sets, him being, you know, coming back from two sets down, you know, the you know the physical and emotional toll that it takes on you, you obviously carried that through into his next round, and then you know got dumped out in in straight sets to uh, Grigor Dimitrov. So it will be fascinating to see how Sissipas kind of rebounds from such a you know, uh, you know, magnificent achievement in beating Nadal in, in the quarterfinals. And, um, yeah, Medvedev up next. I feel like, you know, Medvedev, going back to this Dominic team, you know, talking about the fact that he's not a machine. I feel like Daniel Medvedev at the moment is a machine and he's absolutely kind of being ruthless. He was ruthless with Andre Rublev. And, you know, it was a, it was a very hard battle. I think it was a very physical match. The fact it was in the day session, I think, was, you know, it, I think it were very hot and humid conditions that took took its toll on on both players. But Medvedev, as I said, really is in that sort of ruthless streak that, regardless of who is um, on the other side of the net from him, he's just sort of you know he's he's literally going on the court, getting off the court, uh, you know, in double quick time. Bar that match against Filip Kranjevic. Yeah, Rublev looked really shattered, didn't he, uh, in in the match today? And I mean, this was, I think, a very predictable outcome. I didn't think that Rublev really had enough to, to challenge Daniel Medvedev. And Medvedev is just, you know, playing so, so well at the moment. Yeah, bar that kind of, four, uh, what was it, third round match, um, which, you know, he had a bit of a hiccup in. Uh, but yeah, since then, he's just been really really on it and I mean it's hard to see I, I, I it's hard to see for me it's past coming through Medvedev I think Medvedev will, will have a bit too much but it's really remarkable you know because obviously we've got Karatsev on the other side of the draw and this is only the third time that two Russian men have actually got through to the semi-finals of a Grand Slam um, and that's not happened since 2006 and you know points for guessing who those two players would have been back in 2006 but so it's you know it's a really obviously Medvedev was an expected semi-finalist Karatsa very unexpected but yeah doing wonders for for Russian tennis at the moment continuing on from you know the ATP Cup and I I just think is Medvedev actually the one to beat now because he seems a lot stronger than Djokovic who's you know potentially got physical issues well he does have physical issues but I, I don't know if, if is Medvedev really I I, I don't I don't know. Mm. I, I'm running over in my mind. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he's in this sort of uh, ruthless streak, I think, and, and has got all the momentum, I certainly think that he is the the form player. There's something about Andre Rublev, that matchup, that he just likes doing because I think he's won, like, um, I, I think, well, he won their match very kind of straightforwardly in, in the US Open quarterfinals as well. Um, he's done it so here. Um, and, you know, although I think, it, you know, they were both sort of, as I said, it was both very physical at the same time. It was also kind of very routine. And um, I think the only kind of concern for Medvedev is that the, the, at the end of the match, in a, sort of uh, something I've not seen before. I don't know about you, Kim, but the fact that he got a uh, physio treatment for cramp um, at the, the end of the match before the 
post-match interview, that might be a cause for concern in terms of his his fitness. But you'd think you'd think with a three sets victory, he should be kind of fit and firing and, and ready for that semi final. And you know, we've we've seen him you know do this on a, on a hard court in, at the U.S. Open, and you know, we I think we kind of fully expect to see him you know do it and, and go in as the favorite. I think against Sissipas in that semi final. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because yes, ideally, you shouldn't be getting cramp after a three-set match. But I suppose, you know, the weather conditions and he has played a lot of tennis. Maybe it's all just catching up on him. But I don't know. I don't think anyone's physically 100% fit. You know, I think that would be very, very unlikely what with everything that's going on and quarantine and everything. So we shall see. We shall see. Um, but yeah, those two players, by the way, Mikhail Yuzhny and Nikolai Davidenko were the... Uh, Last two, well, two Russian men at the same time to be at the semis of a major. And before that, you had Felnikov and Safin. So there we go. But I mean, let's talk about the other kind of upset of the day, I suppose, is the fact that the number one seed on the women's side, world number one, Ash Barty, she's out as well. Uh, So it's not to be for Australian fans. You know, they were hoping to get their first homegrown women's champion since 1978, but they'll have to wait another year because... Carolina Mukova came back. Uh, she was 6-1 and a breakdown, uh, two love down in the second set. And she came back to win uh, 6-3, 6-2 in those last two sets. And again, this was very much a match of two halves because I think at that kind of stage where Mukova was setting a breakdown, she took uh, a medical timeout. She went off the court. And uh, when she came back, you know, it was a kind of a bit of a different different story and it completely changed changed the momentum and the the shift in the match. That medical timeout did wonders really for for Mukova to the point I I think the Australian Open press, uh particularly the you know, the Australians there, were quite surprised and, and they were kind of looking at that medical timeout and thinking whether that was tactical and, you know, was that in the you know the line of, of sportsmanship? Was it like a, you know, you know, we've seen from other players in terms of trying to get a kind of, um, you know, nothing is working for them up until that point and, and try to disrupt their flow. But I don't think it was that. I mean, you could see, you know, through that first set that Mukova was really struggling. I think it was more for kind of dizziness, I think is how she kind of described it. And it wasn't more to do with, I think she was going into the tournament with a, a potential abdominal um, injury, so it wasn't for that. It was more for kind of the, the dizziness she was feeling on court, and I think, I think that was kind of fair enough. You know, we saw that you know that between the you know it, it was a really hot and humid day, and the conditions were really tough. I mean, you just got to ask kind of Rublev and, and Medvedev kind of showed that. But again, it was just a remark- remarkable turnaround, and I feel like Kim Mukova is getting into a habit of these these situations of, of of making a comeback from a point where you just think she's like completely out of it. Yeah, she's she came back against Plishikova, you know, in that second set, also came back against Mertens in the first set of that match and now, you know, again against Barty. So it's really amazing how she manages to turn, you know, sets and score lines around. And yeah, I think um, it was probably the heat. Um, I think she was getting uh, her blood pressure checked and she uh, got some ice to cool her down. And obviously that made her relax and I think when she kind of came back on you know to the court and she just sort of went for it a bit and and Barty you know on the other hand just started going off the boil you know a lot more passive hitting us a lot more errors I imagine she was probably a bit I mean put off by the fact that Mukova was suddenly upping her level despite having seemed so down and out so you know the last 15 games Mukova won 12 of them um 
which just goes to show, you know, it really was like a match, you know, tale of two halves. But uh, interestingly, Mukova, she is actually unbeaten this year because I think in the warm up event, she withdrew with, yeah, potential ab- abdominal injury or, you know, a little niggle or what have you. So she's not actually uh, lost a match really um, th- this season. So she is in the form of her life and into her first Grand Slam semi-final and, you know, fair play to her. She's she's hung in there and played some really, you know, good tennis. And, well, she's got a chance in the semi to, to go even further. I think Barty will be disappointed. I feel like this was mm. a match that she had the opportunity to kind of put to bed in yeah. in two sets. I think she will look back and think about how she kind of handles those situations where a player does go off court and maybe there is a little bit of time that you're, you know, thinking about you know with yourself because it, it felt like she you know almost kind of her form sort of de- deserted her from from there on and really kind of flipped I think at kind of three all um, I think Barty had break points in that second set and that really was the moment that if she had if she had broken then you felt like she was going to go on and, and win the match but it wasn't to be and I, I the only other thought I had Kim was you know if, if fans were there I don't feel like this. I don't feel like this comeback would have necessarily happened if, you know, there was a, a baying crowd there of, of mm. Aussies kind of supporting Ash Barty, and feel like maybe that could have overwhelmed Mukova. But the fact that there were no crowds there, and she, you know, it, she was able to kind of just kind of go off court, you know, regroup, come back on, and not have to deal with the crowd. I think that I think that helped her because I do think that if we still had had crowds here for the quarterfinals, I I think we may have seen a, a completely different result. Yeah, I don't think Barty was like impacted by the lack of a crowd, but Mukova gained from it. I, I think, yeah, and I think, yeah, if there had been a crowd, yes, potentially the magnitude of what she was doing might have, have got to her a bit a bit more. But um, she'll be playing uh, Jennifer Brady in the semi final who also came from a set down to beat Jessica Pagula, 4-6-6-2-6-1. So uh, Brady kind of coming through, showing her, you know, slightly greater experience at this level and, and staying very calm, actually, despite going down a set to come through. And uh, I think she's she'd um, lost to Pagula last year at the Western Southern. So getting a bit of revenge for that one. And, uh, well... Very consistent on a hardcore at Grand Slams at the moment is Jen Brady. And yeah, I mean, she hasn't had the most difficult of draws. I don't think she's had to play anyone in the top 25. So, and, you know, obviously Mukova in your semi-final, that's a lot uh, more of a, an easier prospect than having a Saka like she did uh, in the US Open semi-final. So she's got to be the favourite for that one. She's got to be thinking this is, you know, this is my time to to make that final, surely. Yeah, definitely, and I think I, I think the the context around this match, which was which was uh, sort of fascinating to me, was you know the fact that Ash Barty, the favourite from the the top half, had just kind of gone out in the previous match. Um, you know, what was that? What what impact was that going to have on Brady and Pagula? Kind of thinking, you know, there's a big now the, the opportunity now the opportunity to reach my first ever Grand Slam final has has really opened up, and I feel like Brady had a bit of a had a bit of a slow start, but as she got going, there, Pagula really had no answer, and it goes back to a point I think I made earlier this week in terms of. I just feel like when Jen Brady gets going on a hard court, it's very, it's, it's very hard to stop her. And even though she lost that that first set six four, the fact that she was able to come back and win six two six one, it was almost kind of a little blip. 
put that to one side and then just kind of got on with it. And I think she has a really, you know, she has a really good attitude and approach on court. And I think it's that sort of gets on with it attitude that kind of really helps her just keep a level head and just kind of push forward, even if it's not all going your way on court. Yeah, and I think, you know, she's actually one one of the players that was in the hard quarantine and, you know, couldn't leave the hotel room for two weeks. And I've not heard her, you know, complaining about it, moaning about it. She's just got on with it, as she said, which I think, you know, that's such a good positive attitude to have, whether that's on the court or off the court. And, you know, it just goes to show that just because you're in hard quarantine doesn't necessarily mean you can't then do well at the Australian Open. So, it's uh yeah I'm really pleased for her I I think she's a very um easily likable you know personality and I think she just goes to show that if you put in hard graft and have a good attitude you can really you know change your fortunes because this time two years ago we would not have been talking about her in this way so it's really remarkable what she's managed to kind of achieve in the last year and proving that it wasn't a flash in the pan at the US either. Yeah, I mean, kind of interesting if you compare to the the US Open, because I think I was reading that three of the four semi-finalists for the women at the US Open are the same semi-finalists at the Australian yeah. Open, Jennifer Brady, Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams. And it did get me thinking about, you know, are these, are the, you know, obviously they're both kind of hardcore events and, you know, are the conditions sort of, are they too similar maybe perhaps between the, the two if, you know, the same victors are coming out each time or is it just kind of showing that you know once these guys are on a hard court this is just kind of their you know these are your hard court specialists because yeah they they seem to be coming to the the four um in in the two kind of hard court grand slams so I, I wonder whether you know the conditions feel similar to Brady as an as an American as they were in kind of Flushing Meadow I'm just a bit annoyed that Barty lost because I would have then been on for all four semi-finals in my <laughs> predictions because I put you know Jen Brady and I put Serena and Osaka so I was you know getting ready to celebrate but hey ho um talking of semi-finals though Joel uh, in the doubles we do have in the men's uh, event we've got Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez they are going to be playing Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram so we've definitely got a Brit in the doubles final which is excellent so obviously Joe Salisbury is the defending champion I don't really mind who wins out of either of those, but I would like, yeah. obviously, whoever wins that to, to win the whole shebang. Yeah, I'm just disappointed they're not on the other sides of the mm. draw because I feel like they've been, both been playing great tennis at the moment. I I wonder if... I feel like Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram maybe start that as the slight favourites mm. given you know their history with the tournament. But, I mean, as you know, we've said it before, the fact that Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez had already a pre-existing kind of partnership going before you know they got back together at the start of the season it meant that they could just start um hit you know hit the ground running and it's a real I think it's a real achievement actually their first grand slam back it's it's obviously clicked straight away and they're through to the semi-final I think it's it's really impressive yeah definitely and I think on the other side of the draw you've got Mektic and Pavic though who I have to say, I think do look the most formidable for the title. But um, Joe Salisbury is also in the mixed doubles quarterfinals uh, with Desiree Krojic, his partner. And he's actually going to face Neil Skupski and Andrea Klepak. So we'll have, you know, a Brit in the in the mixed semifinal as well. And just a note on the women's doubles, Elise Mertens and Arena Sabalenka are in their first Australian Open doubles final. Uh, they will be playing Barbora Krejcikova and Katerina Sinyakova. So a potential Grand Slam success still for Mertens and Sabalenka, despite kind of both having fourth round exits in the singles. 
And then just to touch upon as well, uh, the wheelchair event for Alfie Hewitt. He he was in that singles final um, against Joachim Gerard, but he he lost it unfortunately. Six love four six six four to uh, Gerard in that one. I think he was. He said afterwards that he was quite pleased that you know after losing that first set to love, he didn't sort of go down in straight. So he managed to kind of bring it back and level the match off before obviously losing that last one. But um, he did win the doubles with Gordon Reed. So came away with with a title which is good um but yeah we're going to take a quick break now but do join us in the second half where we will be looking back on all the results from day nine uh so do not go anywhere This is The Passing Shot. You are joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to look back at our quarterfinal action from day nine. So this is, uh, I suppose, where do we start, Joel? I suppose the the Djokovic uh, shenanigans, the ongoing Djokovic shenanigans, they carried on uh, in his match against Sasha Zverev. And that was a bit of a up and down match, wasn't it? I felt that whoever started out the set well was going to lose it, basically, because Zverev had so <laughs> many opportunities yeah. and just failed to take them. Yeah, I was really impressed, actually, with Zverev's play on court against Novak Djokovic. I thought he played pretty solid game, but mentally, did he play a solid game? Absolutely not, because I think in that third and fourth set, he was he was a break-up and let Novak Djokovic come back into it. And I think this is the this is now the burning question with Sasha Zverev you know, when it comes to kind of facing opponents of the caliber of Novak Djokovic is that is he mentally is he mentally ready for that for someone to kind of you know be biting at your heels when you kind of go a break up and really going to be asking the questions straight away and and I think the answer from this match is is no because I think he will be disappointed he at least wasn't able to take that to five sets because he was playing he was playing really really good tennis and I think it deserved a it deserved a fifth set and I think that was the that was a sense I think we got in in kind of the, the post-match interview that, that Zverev gave. He was very downbeat. He was very downheartened about the fact that, you know, he didn't make the most of, of being a breakup in, in those third and fourth sets. He actually said, Kim, he actually said he was annoyed that not that Djokovic broke back, but that he didn't secure a double break because, mm. you know, he had opportunities to do that in that um, third set. And, you know, you can't sort of, you know, obviously you can't kind of rest on your laurels against someone like Novak Djokovic, but you do felt, you did feel with this match, it was the fact that Zverev was almost kind of mentally fragile going one way, Novak Djokovic mentally superior going the other way and that really you know made a difference in the the outcome of the match yeah even if you're one break up you know it's not over uh until the fat lady sings or whatever you've got to get that double break <laughs> and yeah it was just once it happened in the third set and when it happened in the fourth set I was just like oh it's you know writings on exactly the this is just bound to go Djokovic's way and you know he still seemed to be obviously struggling a bit with an, ed, the abdominal injury. But again, it didn't really seem to affect his play too much. I think I think it's just more mentally, Djokovic just seemed a bit more up and down as well. You know, he was getting really worked up about things a lot more than usual. And obviously we saw, you know, that racket smash, which uh, garnered quite a bit of attention. I feel like he should have been made to clear it up himself. Absolutely. I, don't, I, don't, I was just like, going to say that. If you're going to smash your racket on court, like, okay, that's fine. But 
Well, it's not fine, really, is it? I mean, sorry, I don't mean to jump on a high horse, but has Rafa ever smashed his racket on court? No. I think there's, I think players obviously have different ways of, of dealing with frustration. And I think, you know, we've seen before that Novak Djokovic, I think, does like to be a bit more either vocal or, you know, throw his racket or, or just get it out his system. And I do think that racket smash really was the it really was for me in a weird way, the sort of turning point of the match. And, you know, he just needed, you just felt like he needed to get it out some way, somehow. So he was just like, you know, I'm just going to go big on my racket, clatter it into the ground and then kind of move on. And it was, it it was almost kind of the spark really for the, the rest of the match, because I think he was, uh, I think Zverev was like four, one up, I think, um, uh, you know, when that happened and, Djokovic just came roaring back it was almost kind of like Kim he was like the incredible Hulk and he was just like getting angry more angry and then he just channeled that anger into into some extremely good tennis and was able to come away with a victory well I think the incredible Hulk would at least be able to clean up after himself so (laughs) you know I just thought when you saw that he was wearing a green top though that ball kid having to sweep it up. I just thought, sorry, I would if I was that ball kid, I'd have got the dustpan and brush and said, there you go, mate. <laughs> it's your turn. You caused this. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if our listeners would agree with that, but I just thought it was a bit of a, you know, piss take. But anyway, it, it certainly helped Djokovic. He's into the semifinals. He's still the overwhelming favourite to obviously get through to the final. Uh, and well, who knows after that? But I mean, it's interesting, actually, after the match, you know, he was saying, and Zverev agreed with him on this, that um, if the rest of the season is going to be inflicted uh, with these quarantine situations where players are going to have to, you know, do two weeks or what have you, locked up in a hotel, then, you know, the top players just aren't going to want to do that. And they're essentially, there may not be much of a season because players will just kind of not turn up if they're having to go, to go through these quarantines. Um, obviously talking about, you know, player well-being and how it's obviously not good mentally or physically, which I completely agree with. It's, it's not great, is it, for, for anyone to have to quarantine? But I don't, I suppose, you know, I suppose he's referring to the top players with these comments because if you're ranked, you know, 100 in the world, you, you have to play, you know, you need to be traveling around, you need to be earning your money. You can't really have too much say in the matter. But I just thought it was interesting that he brought this up, I suppose. It was interesting. I knew, he obviously feels like he needs to, you know, we, we've seen before that he wants to be this voice of, mm. um, you know, of the players. And it, again, sounds like this is not just kind of Novak Djokovic thoughts. This is not just Sasha Zverev mm. thoughts. This is kind of the whole kind of locker room thoughts. And yeah, the idea of them going through two weeks of, of quarantine to play a tournament, it doesn't feel like it's a sustainable, it doesn't feel like it's a sustainable process uh, you know, through the tour this season, Zverev was very kind of flatly, you know, I don't think the tour can operate. It is not sustainable in this way this season. And, you know, obviously a, a big reason for that is that, you know, the number of injuries that, uh, you know, have, have happened, particularly, I think, in the, you know, the men's tournament. And, uh, you know, I, I, saw, I kind of I kind of agree on, on that front. I think it needs to be more, I feel like, you know, if you want to see top players in action, not have all these withdrawals, not have, players kind of not playing at a hundred percent I think then it's gonna they're gonna need to have more freedom I don't know how that kind of comes about but you know I think they were talking about looking at the you know the NBA for example and having just kind of one court and one venue where you know you could brand it 
you know different ways each week and it could be arguably a different a different tournament um but maybe that being the the approach you take and almost kind of like i guess having a hub and like one center one focal point from where kind of players can play because I think the maneuverability of, of a tour all around the world at the moment with all the kind of quarantine laws, restrictions, et cetera, um, you know, especially with like what, local councils, um, governments, et cetera, it just feels very, um, for, for tennis players at, at that level, it just feels a bit too, yeah, it doesn't feel too um, ideal at, at the moment. I suppose they could have a clay hub uh probably in paris like they could play rome mm. monte carlo yeah. uh, madrid you know all in all on the same site i suppose uh and then they could have a london hub for the grass i, I kind of like that idea I and mean, i don't know whether you could do it like you know it would go to the point of like you'd have a a europe hub and then a, an america hub and a an asia hub for example um but it, it feels like that you know with the players talking about you know the, just traveling at the moment just is not worth the it's just it's just not worth it maybe that you know you limp you have to dial down on that sort of the the global aspect of the tennis tour and, and keep it more i don't know fixed in you know by by geographical regions i don't know but it, it's it's interesting comments and i'll it'll be it will be interesting to see how that kind of you know plays out going forward whether that is something that kind of the player council take as an initiative to the the ATP what gets done about it because that is quite a big discussion point and I can't see I can't see with all the tournament organizers probably always you know already having their conversations with the ATP I'm not sure how how far that is going to go um or whether that's going to fall on on deaf ears with the with the ATP organisation. Yeah, we'll have to see how it develops because I certainly wouldn't want to be in the uh, decision-making channels within the governing bodies at, at the moment, I have to say. So uh, let's let's return to yesterday's tennis because um, as we just referred to, you know, Djokovic will be up against Aslan Karatsev in, in the semi-final. Don't think I ever thought we'd, you know, be saying that. But um, yeah, Karatsev came through against Grigor Dimitrov in four sets, Two six six four six one six two, so very comfortable at the end there. But uh, unfortunately, Grigor, you know, he looked quite sharp early on, obviously taking that first set. But he, uh, the last two sets, he really, he wasn't really able to move very well at all. He was suffering with um, an injury. Apparently, he he was unable to put on his socks before the match. So. Uh, really not ideal, you know. Perhaps another another person that's fallen by the wayside, you know, maybe as a result of quarantine. So it kind of allowed Karatsev to really take his chance and take his opportunity and and get through to the semi-finals, which is just madness, really. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's going to be the fifth qualifier, I think, in, in Grand Slams in the Open Era to have reached a semi-final. Um, the last person to do that was Vladimir Volchkov in 2000 at Wimbledon. So it just shows you how, uh, you know, what a Cinderella story, mm. you know, this this is, um, you know, going so far. You know, obviously, I think that we've had other Cinderella stories. Like, you know, I, I'm already kind of thinking about, you know, Cecanato, mm. you know, at the French Open beating Novak Djokovic and, and getting to the, you know, the semi-finals. But to do this as a, you know, to do this as a qualifier. And, and Kim, you've got to remember qualifying. This was qualifying in Doha, getting on a plane, flying over. I think he also was in hard quarantine because of coming over from on one of those flights. Um, 
it was just it just feels like everything everything was against him and uh, he didn't have much he didn't have much or any form going into the australian open his tour level record was three and ten it's just it's just really it's just really incredible and you know I, i'm sure we're all thinking novak Djokovic is gonna you know record one of the fastest <laughs> semi-final semi-final victories of grand slam ever maybe but the fact we're even in this situation is a real i think testament to you know karatsev's you know ability on the on the court and yes uh, yes dimitrov i think was you know struggling with injury particularly in those last two sets but you know he was able to kind of come come through it and not not let that distract him which you know we've seen this week that some players have have seen injury as a bit of distraction and not been able to get over that line and karatsev was just able to kind of see straight through that and you know as much as a nice guy grigor dimitrov is when there's a semi-final on the on the line, Kratsev was only going to do one thing, and yeah, he was he just kind of pulled away really in those um, those final two sets. It will be interesting to see how he matches up against Djokovic, who will obviously be his toughest opponent so far, and mm. he's got absolutely nothing to lose, so he might as well just go for it. I, I don't know if Kratsev is also suffering with some kind of injury because I haven't heard or seen anything where which would su- suggest he might be, in which case that would make him probably the only player in the whole tournament <laughs> not to have some kind of issue. But I mean, the you know, he's he is the lowest ranked man, I think, to reach the last four of any major since Goran Ivanisevic, which was obviously two thousand and one Wimbledon. He went on to win it, so you never know. But I do think that if he over if he overcomes Djokovic, it would only be because Djokovic like retires with the the injury i think the, the only other the only other thought i have was you know the fact that you know they've obviously never played each other before and whether that sort of surprise element may play into karatsev's hands um in terms of you know djokovic's you know he, he's probably going to be able to watch some youtube videos and clips of him and maybe ask some of his former opponents but he's never faced him on a tennis court so that might play into to karatsev's hands but one thing i don't think that will play into his hands is the fact that Crowds will come back. Uh, it is a semi-final, and you know Novak Djokovic will be ready for that. You know this is this is his this is Rod Laver Arena is his court. The Australian Open is his tournament, and that might just put you know uh, pressure on Kratsev like that he's never felt before. You know this is a completely new situation, and you know the fact that there were no fans there in the quarterfinal it probably helped him to kind of treat it like another match like a you know a challenger event that you know he was doing so well in um you know at the back end of, of last season but the fact that fans are going to be back there that i think adds an extra dimension that kratsev's going to need to try and, and get out of his system but it, it might be it might be too hard to do so i don't think Djokovic has ever lost uh, a semi or a a final at at the AO, mm. so I think I think it could be an absolute obliteration, but we we will see. <laughs> uh, and let's talk about the women's uh, quarterfinals from yesterday because we had obviously the Serena Williams Simona Hallett match, which was you know the one on everyone's kind of agenda. It was the the night session, and I thought this one would be actually a bit bit of a closer match. I thought it was. I thought the three sets were definitely on the cards, but. You know, Serena came through in straight sets, six three, six three. Um, she said afterwards that she thought that was the best match she that she'd played in the whole tournament so far. So she's obviously peaking at the right time. You know, she served really well, she moved really well, was able to nullify, you know, Halep's um defense and movement as well. And yeah, it was uh 
bit underwhelming, I suppose, from Halep's behalf. I, I thought that if maybe Halep had got off to a, a fast start or if Serena got off to a slow start, she might get into her head, you know, from the Wimbledon final. But obviously not. Different situation this time round. I know, complete turnaround from that Wimbledon final where Simona Halep really had a fast start and Serena Williams couldn't deal with it. And after like 50 minutes, we had a, a you know a new Wimbledon champion. But this was a completely different story. Serena Williams, you know, looking really fit as well. I think, you know, I, I go back to kind of my point in terms of, I was concerned in terms of when she was going to step up against this caliber sort of player, how physically fit she was going to be uh, able to kind of compete. But, Really, she blew away Simona Halep, and I think that kind of started with Simona Halep's serve. And uh, Halep said that in the, in her press conference, and I think really that was the you know the issue in terms of the fact that even if Simona Halep got a break, particularly at the start of that second set, I think she went kind of a break up early on. But even if that was the case, her serve was just getting you know th- all thrown thrown around all parts of the court, and she was not able to ho- hold her serve very consistently. And I just kind of felt the ball just, it it just kind of sat up a lot more on this court than it did, say, at Wimbledon. And when it kind of sits up waiting to be hit, that's where Serena Williams really comes into her own in in terms of power. And I felt like that just happened quite, uh, you know, quite often. I think she hit, you know, 24 winners and they were all around the court. And yeah, I think the ball just kind of the, the the spin that kind of Simona Hallett was putting on the ball. I think it played into Serena Williams's hands in terms of it just kind of giving her a little bit more time to be like, okay, this is where the ball is, right? This is where I'm going to hit a winner. Yeah, and we didn't, you know, Serena just seemed very relaxed and composed and like like she used to, you know, the old days, I suppose, as well, rather than getting a bit like wound up. So. I think that's the right demeanour to have, especially going into the, her next match, which will, you know, be even more difficult. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I have to say, if Serena wins and finally, you know, overcomes her, you know, this this elusive, <laughs> you know, twenty fourth title um, slam title, I, I I think this is the time to, you know, in that amazing outfit of hers. So I think that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, she's gonna she's gonna play Osaka in this in the semi final who came through a very, you know, easy uh, quarter against Su Wei Shea. I think it was 6-2, 6-3. So very, very comfortable. Oh, no, 6-2, 6-2, sorry. Very, very comfortable. And, uh, I mean, that was kind of part of the course, wasn't it? Uh, she had too much for, for Su Wei Shea and I think read Su Wei Shea's slices and uh, spin pretty well. So I think, you know... Serena Osaka, it's set. I mean, I had I had predicted it. I think we were all looking at that in the draw. So, oh, it's hard to call, I think. I mean, talking about kind of different different styles of play going from Sue Shea in a quarterfinal to Serena Williams in a, in the semifinal, mm. I feel like that is a very contrasting uh, style of play that you're you're coming up against. And yeah, that is a you know that is a fascinating encounter. I think the, you know the last time they played each other was that now infamous US Open final. But I think the big thing that's changed since then from Serena Williams' side is that this tournament, she does look like a champion. She does look like a player who is on a quest and, you know, is going to win that that 24th major title. I mean, you feel like, you sense, Kim, don't you, that this is the this is the final? You know, you're going to have a, a first-time, you're going to have a first-time finalist, um, you know, come in from the, the top half. And you really, 
you know, really the they you're got expecting, no chance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're really <laughs> expecting someone from you know, you're you're expecting either Osaka or Serena to come through this and then and then kind of win the win the final handsomely. And um, you know, I think I'm just kind of talking about Serena Williams. It's just I think you know the fact that her box is there. It's all very kind of supportive. You know, her sister's there, her husband is there as well. Um, you know, I think it's it, 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 for some reason it just feels right at the moment. Um, I'm sure Osaka's going to have things to say about that, but it just feels like Serena Williams is in a really good place. And I'm sort of glad that the, the Australian Open was pushed back because it, 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 I got the impression that if it was going to go on when it, it normally does in the calendar year, she wasn't going to be fit for it. But because it got pushed back, she was able to you know bring her fitness up. And um, yeah, she's into the semifinals. Yeah, I think also, you know, have her having, you know, a bigger entourage. I know Venus would have been here playing anyway, but because Osaka and Serena were both in that Adelaide quarantine, they had they were able to bring more people with them, which has probably helped. And, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, Serena, Osaka, I think Osaka leads the head to head to 2-1. Obviously, there was that US Open final, uh, which we all know what happened there. But yeah, I mean, I have to say, I think Osaka is still the favourite. I, I know it's Serena Williams, but I just think Osaka is just the one to beat still uh, in this tournament. Kim, I mean, Serena's 12-0 and against top three players in Grand Slams, going back to 2007. She's got a perfect run of 8-0 and in Australian Open semi-finals. You know, Osaka's going to have to do something pretty special, I feel, to to usurp you know to well to to usurp her and and you know take her out because i mean they're both playing they're both playing fantastic tennis but i wonder if that <laughs> i just feel like now you know the fact that we've spoken about this 24th slam quest for so long feel like serena is a lot more comfortable and, and relaxed with that now than before and maybe before going into slams it was a bit of a a quest and looking at that end goal perhaps a bit too much whereas for this tournament I think because of the the draw she's had and the, the players she's had to face along the way mm. I think it's a bit been a bit more focused on the almost kind of on the journey and, and take it kind of match by match and I think that has helped her in terms of um, you know, in terms of her play, in terms of her progression through the tournament, but Osaka is going to be a, a pretty big obstacle, isn't she? Absolutely, and I think you know Osaka's spoken about how much she admires Serena and you know idolizes her, and I think if that if that kind of gets to her, you know, during the match, I think mm. she might be you know feel quite intimidated. Do you see more aggro returning? Or? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think aggro. I just think that you know, yes, I know Serena's what twelve and zero against top three players in majors, but that's kind of pre Osaka um who I think mm-hmm. plays against uh, plays against her in such a way that she can nullify quite a lot of Serena's um advantages but I think you know this is a deserved semi they've both been playing you know the best tennis and I'm just annoyed it's not a night match because it's on in the middle of our night so it's uh yeah it's going to be a do you get up in the middle of the night and watch it or watch <laughs> it all in the morning on highlights but a bit frustrating for for European fans but I mean, I have to say, if Serena does win this semi-final, she would then have, well, a new record, 363 wins in Grand Slams, which will uh, overtake Roger Federer for the all-time lead. So that will be uh, very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we've we've got fans as well coming back for the semi-finals tomorrow. I think they've got about a 50% capacity in Rod Laver. So they've got just over 7,000 people who will be allowed at each session. So I guess, uh, I mean, let's just do a very quick prediction. 
I mean, Brady Mukova, who, who have you got for that one, Joel? I've got Brady in two sets. I think I just don't, I just think uh, she's going to have too much for Mukova. Though mm. no, I said that about Ash Barty, but I just can't see. I think Jennifer Brady has a big game mentality and, and mindset, and uh, I think she's, uh, I think she's ready to you know take that leap into her first first Slam final. I would. Go, I'm going to say Brady as well. I think I think she's just looked kind of fitter and um, more dominant, you know, not having to rely on a big comeback or, you know, for the past three matches or so. And just the experience, I think she's fresher. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go for Brady. Might be three sets, but we'll see. And then for me, I'm, I'm still going to go over Saka. I had her winning the tournament. I still think she is going to. <laughs> but I feel like you're going to go Serena. <laughs> Well, I had Azarenka winning, so I definitely don't you know, don't listen to my predictions. Um, mm-hmm. But no, um, I, I yeah, I'm I don't think I'm going Osaka. I think I'm going Serena Williams. I just feel like there's something something in the air in Melbourne, and I think it's I think it's going to happen. You know, it's so. I think both players will feel like it's so tantalizingly close, but yet so far, the fact that it is a semi-final and not a final, I think that's the only, as a fan, I think that's the only upsetting thing because this, um, you know, this feels like a, you know, this feels like a match that should be the final. A little bit like when Osaka played Muguruza earlier on. Mm. So, um, yeah, we'll see. What, what are you going for in terms of the men then? So we've got Medvedev, Sisabas, and Djokovic. Djokovic, um, Karatsev, where where are you where are you going for those two? Well, my pre-tournament prediction was a Djokovic Medvedev final, and I haven't changed my mind, so that's still <laughs> on for that. I think, uh, yeah, I think the Djokovic one is is tomorrow, isn't it? They're not being played on the same day. Okay, all right, okay, so, all right. Djokovic Karatsev, let's let's be real. How many games? <laughs> okay, we we think Djokovic is going to win that. He's going to walk it. Well, how many games are you giving Karatsev? Oh, eight. Eight. That's quite okay. an annihilation, isn't it? Oh, I, I just, so you're not going for like a bagel breadstick bagel scenario. No, I'll, or... g- I'll give him his, his. I'll give him some due. <laughs> I think eight games. Okay. I, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he gets eighteen. Well, I hope he get. I mean, I, I'd love Karatsev to win. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I can't deny that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think I'm going to go. Yeah, I think it'll be quite formulaic, like a three three four two. Maybe nine, yeah, nine games. I'm going to go nine games. Um, yeah, I feel that quite simple. But Medvedev Sissipas is a bit more. It is a bit more tricky. But where, 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 where are you going for this one? Medvedev in four sets. Yeah, four sets. Potentially three. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go Medvedev three. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's a seven six, six four seven five sort of victory um i think it might be quite tight but i feel like medvedev is as i said he's just so ruthless at the moment that i think he's just gonna he's just gonna overcome sissipas and i think sissipas might have a bit of a hangover from this nadal epic um but who knows maybe he'll be maybe he'll be inspired to kind of go and achieve a, a first grand slam final and follow in the footsteps of, of medvedev we'll see indeed and uh, just a note to any of our collector set participants <laughs> because Ash Barty totally failed to make the semi-finals <laughs> um we've now ended up with 12 players on three correct answers which obviously as much as including myself including can I Joel, just say? yeah as much as we'd love to to have 12 winners and to give out 12 prizes I think everyone the passing shot budget cannot stretch to 12 <laughs> mugs Kim well indeed but I think everyone would rather have the 
the prestige of you know just being like one winner so we're gonna <laughs> have a tie break question which uh those 12 of you who are um on three correct guesses we will be messaging everyone individually with a question so um yeah do look out for your dms because we'll be making contact and then you just need to submit your guests back to us it will be related to the men's and women's finals and then basically the, the closest answer will be our winner so i mean we, we may still have a couple of winners depending on you know, who's closest, but just uh, a note that we will be in touch regarding that. <laughs> and then I guess just a couple of things to finish up with. Uh, Andy Murray, Joel, he has pulled out of his match uh, today that was due to be in the Biella Challenger. Um, that's because he's taken a wild card for Montpellier uh, next week. So he is decided to, to focus on that instead. I, I don't think there's any like injury concerns. No, I think he just wants to step it up now in terms of quality, which I think is, I think that's, uh, you know, an interesting move. I think that shows you where, I think that shows Murray fans, I think it just shows fans in general where Murray thinks he's at with his game. The fact that he's ready to kind of step up. Yes, he's made the, the Biela Challenger final last week, lost to, to Marchenko, but I think he now feels like he's ready to return proper to the, the ATP tour and he feels like Montpellier is a good place to start there. Definitely. And uh, Phillip Island Trophy, which is taking place at Melbourne Park. We've got the semi-final lineup for that set. So we've got Bianca Andreescu. Um, she'll be facing Marie Buskova. So nice that Andreescu is actually, you know, got getting these matches. You know, it, it's, it's make, it makes sense, doesn't it, to have this tournament kind of on site straight after because those of you that, you know, didn't quite uh, get what you wanted out of the slam, you know, you, you still it, you've come all that way and you've, you've got something else to do and uh, yeah, into her first semi-final since the US Open that she won. Uh, Danielle Collins versus Kaz- Kazakina is the other semi-final. So um, that'll be going on. Just a note on Sophia Kennan. You know, we we spoke about her in the last episode that she'd lost to Olivia Gadecki, you know, an unranked 18-year-old Australian wildcard. But um turns out that Kenin had to go to hospital to have her appendix removed on Monday uh, all of a sudden. So, I mean, that kind of explains... Oh, that explains, <laughs> yeah, lot, that explains it. Yeah, she's obviously having acute pain and really struggling. And I just think, wow, it's amazing that she even managed to turn up on court if, if that was going on. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, a full recovery will be made by, by Sophia Kenin. To wake to wake up to that, I, I had a I had a message in my inbox. Did you see the Kenin news? And I was like, oh, what what could this be? And and Kenin has appendicitis was definitely not at the top of my uh, list of of what I was expecting to see. But um, yeah, really, fa- really, really fa- funny story there. Um, just on the the Phillip Island um trophy, Kim. I was just going to say, I just think if if there is a sort of legacy of this Australian Open event, I do think that I think it's shown that. That players, I think, maybe like the idea of having consecutive tournaments in one venue. Um, mm. If you know, we can't go all around the world and, and play wherever with total freedom and, and flexibility. And you know, again, just kind of going back to the you know the Zverev and, and Djokovic comments or around the the tour. Um, I do think that there is a player appetite for this sort of setup where the lead up events for example are on the you know the the same courts as as the as the slam takes place and maybe you can have a little bit of a different look of feel in terms of the um you know the tournament name and the trophy and all, all that sort of stuff but i think that is a it does feel like it's laid potentially a blueprint for how lead up events happen 
maybe in the future to to grand slams. I think it's the quarantine that is obviously the, the biggest issue for the players. Yeah, who knows? Maybe this will change the way the calendar and the season is run, you know, for the for the very long term if if these sorts of things happen and, and players are really for it. But we'll have to see how that develops. But yeah, I think that's the kind of rash idea that I, I got that, you know, Djokovic and perhaps Verev and others were thinking this is the only way really that we would that would justify us quarantining as if we were going to be there for an extended period of time. But um, yeah, we'll be back in two days time to round up all of the semi-final action and to preview the finals. So yeah, we hope everyone can, can join us then. I know. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm just annoyed. I'm still annoyed that they haven't scheduled Serena Osaka for our night session, Joel, because mm. I would love to wake up to that tomorrow, but <laughs> <laughs> It's a match that, yeah, if you're in your time zone, it's a match you want to yeah. wake up to and have at your most convenient moment. I might have to, I might have to do a no spoilers, stay off Twitter, mm, and I might watch it silence. from the beginning. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I won't it's, miss it's it you that. in the morning. Then <laughs> don't look at your WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah we'll we'll see about that lots of really fascinating matchups in the the men and women's semi-finals to look forward to remember if you want to stay up to date on all of the action from the australian open over the semi-finals and finals weekend as well make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify overcast cast box stitcher wherever you listen to the passing shot make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on the australian open and if you have been enjoying our content on uh, apple podcasts make sure to leave us a rating and comment and you can follow us on social media at passing shot pod we're on twitter instagram and facebook so do give us a follow give us a like if you haven't already done so tell all your friends and family if they're interested in tennis to also give us a follow and you can send us an email to make contact as well passingshotpod at gmail.com and we will be back on friday evening uk time for our semi-finals round by round catch up with the passing shot i hope you can join us then i think yeah i think Kim, i'm gonna be on no no spoiler alert when i wake up tomorrow morning so i can uh watch the uh watch the the matches in peace but um yeah i hope you can join us for our round by round semi-finals catch up on friday see you again soon Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.